actually having impacts on people's lives will include nutrition, will include psychology, will include genetics. And we won't be able to fully understand people as a whole until we understand all the pieces. Well, folks, the original recordings of this podcast ended at the two-year mark in May of 2023. I find myself surrounded by special people who have asked that we put the podcast on simmer instead of taking it away completely. I've also gotten feedback that our regular followers didn't know about certain episodes. There are so many and so many good ones. So as I'm the cast iron skillet and Abby is the Instapot, we have a new sous chef, Kate, who's added her own seasoning. Kate said, we've done our meal prep. And our summer episodes are in the freezer ready for consumption at any time. So we're going to roll out our favorites every other week instead of every week. And you're going to see Kate's picks and Jana's picks and Royce's picks and Hannah's picks and many others. Thanks to this new crew who are persistent in making sure that this podcast does not completely go away. I'm grateful to each of you and what you have contributed. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. All right. Welcome back to the Seasoned RD or welcome to the Seasoned RD podcast if this is your first time tuning in. Today I'm a day late. Gave myself and Royce listened to last week's episode. If you want to know who Royce is, a little bit of compassion to be a day late. So I first met our guest, David Triger, through the graduate elective course in 2021. He's working towards his doctorate in clinical nutrition, and I knew I connected with him. It's an online course, so it's super hard to get to know students and have them get to know you. I couldn't put my finger on it, but today you'll see why. I was so excited. I had asked him to be a guest a while back, and this is one of those moments where he finally said yes. It took him a while, but he was inspired by Chelsea Levy's episode to dive right in. So David brings in the clinical nutrition and his long-term care experience and his time with veterans, along with the compassion for nutrition counseling, because nutrition knowledge often, mostly, isn't enough to provide motivation for someone to eat. One of my, some of my favorite quotes in here are about the Krebs cycle, but pushing through initial discomfort, all foods are okay, and speaking of compassion, this learning takes time. I'm going to openly cringe here as I was listening back at about minute 38, 39. It's not editable because I said something close to it that I can't, I don't want to take out, but I said something about trauma-informed therapy, and I meant to say trauma-informed nutrition care. Very clear that dietitians do not do therapy. We can become aware of the internal happenings within our clients and ourselves, and we can use 
similar language with the therapist to hone in on the importance of tending to those feelings within our nervous system. And then Abby made a comparison about David being a hard worker and needing to up her game. Comparisons can be helpful to motivate, but also this is a good time to remind you all we each bring something to the table, whether you're more psychology minded or whether you're more medically minded as a dietitian. Not to make excuses, but there are at least two times that I lost my train of thought today. So I wish I could have a redo, but you know what? The show goes on. A listener comment from Wendy, loved listening to Janice Baker on the Seasoned RD podcast. So great to hear more about diabetes, CGMs, and weight loss drugs. Oh my gosh, they are everywhere. Thanks for the work that you do. Supervision, oh, thank you, Wendy, for your comment. (laughs) Supervision membership is coming soon and is a private community for all professionals interested in those nuggets to help guide our practice. I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to the Seasoned RD, David. Hi, Beth. Hi, Abby. Thank you for having me on. Well, we're excited to chat with you, get your perspective on everything as a dietitian, but we'll kind of ease you into things with some icebreakers. First one for you is mountains or beach? Well, I'm from Long Island originally. Um, I grew up here, so I have to say the beach. Mm -hmm. There's just something about the beach, you know, with the water that like it flows in and out. It's very relaxing and we all like to listen to the sounds of the ocean. So I would have to go with the beach. Yeah. Are, do you live close to the water now? Yes, I live about a mile away. Whoa, so, wow. Nice. Yeah. That sounds so pretty good access, yes. Here in the Midwest, we are just about as far away from any water-like <laughs> beaches as possible. Yeah. Breakfast or dinner? Well, that's a good question. I have to go with dinner. It's the, it's the meal that's more towards the end of the day. It's kind of a wind down. I have more time to prep. I don't feel rushed. It's also a meal that I usually will have with someone else, whether it's a family member or a friend. So I just have more opportunities to also engage socially at dinner than I would at breakfast. For sure. And and before we hit record, we were talking about this is the end of our work week. We're recording this on a Friday. Tomorrow is New Year's Eve day. And so we are ready to get on with our weekend, but we can't wait to hear about you. So audiobook or paper book? That's a tough one. I, I would have to go with both. I, I use both mediums. As you know, I like to listen to podcasts. Um, I'll also read. I think it's more of when I'm traveling that I'll use audiobooks. If I'm sitting on a train or if I'm in the car, I'll use audiobooks. And if I'm just sitting at home, I'll use a paper book. Mm. Um, so I guess it really depends on, on where I am and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Do you travel by train for work in your area? So, so I used to. I used to work in Brooklyn, New York, traveling mm-hmm. in from uh, Nassau County. And I pretty much had an hour, you know, on the train each way. So I'd sit there and just listen to audiobooks. And it's one of those things where with a paper book, you kind of have to pick it up, put it down, you know, put it away. With the audiobook, you just put your headphones in and yep. I'm just listening yeah, to, yeah. to the audiobook and without any interruption. So it's, yeah. it's a great way to listen to something. It sure is. I, I definitely relate to that. So you're a registered dietitian, and I am going to take you back to your RD exam day. What do you remember about that day? Uh, Well, the RD exam is definitely something that's very nerve-wracking, I think, for everyone. I felt, thankfully, very prepared because I had other interns that I studied with, and they were great. One one also just got her CNSC certification, so I was studying with with good people. Um, So I came really prepared, but 
I was extremely nervous. And when I was walking in, I just remembered thinking like, okay, just, you know, they're going to check me for you know, anything that I'm not supposed to bring in. They're going to tell me to put my phone away. And I just remember just like, okay, just go through the steps, sit down, you know, take a deep breath yeah. and just make sure to read all the questions. That's really, <laughs> that's really what I wanted to do. Cause they, the first thing that I was told is just the questions are going to be tricky. They're going to try to get you. Mm-hmm. So you just have to read all the questions, read all the answers. And that's what I was telling myself this kid, just, you know, sit and read and yeah. pick the best one. Yeah. Yeah. Take a deep breath and read all the questions. So that's some advice for any of you listening who are preparing to take your RD exam. And I assume it was computer based and not yes. pencil and paper. Yeah. So I really, really am excited to hear. How did you get into the field of nutrition? What's your role right now? And how did you get interested in eating disorders as a topic? Sure. I I mean, I'd like to think that getting into the field of nutrition was something that I guess somewhat preceded me. It wasn't something that I went into college thinking that I was going to graduate with a degree in nutrition, but I am a first-generation American. And my parents, uh, my grandparents are survivors of the Holocaust, and my parents were immigrants from the former Soviet Union. So when they came to the United States, there was a lot of, I guess we saw a lot of opportunity for like better nutrition and better food and how to take advantage of that to improve health because access to that had been really restricted. So my parents were always very like encouraging, were very encouraging to eat healthy and to really focus on that. So I I kind of took that and just being very inquisitive and being a very curious person, just wanted to understand how food and nutrition plays a role in understanding how we can like improve our lives and how it affects us socially and all the little things that not have, and basically also understanding of like the mental health aspect of how not having food and how not having nutrition can affect people, not only while they don't have it, but over the course of their life. So Wow. That's kind of that's kind of a little bit of the background. I think that's kind of what predestined my decision to eventually go into nutrition. Um, so I'm currently right now a clinical nutrition manager. I work with a, a similar, I wouldn't say exactly the same population, but I work with a population that also now has a history of that kind of trauma and going through those types of events where I work with veterans and they also have a lot of issues where whether it's post-traumatic stress or whether it's anxiety, depression. So they also have those complicated mental health aspects. So Mm. that's why right now I'm really trying to learn more as much as I can about eating disorders and how nutrition relates to mental health issues and, you know, how as dietitians we can be, you know, of any assistance to that. Well, I had no idea that you were first generation and Abby and I just met the episode that dropped this morning. I think I talked about epigenetics and Holocaust survivors. And I, you know, from your perspective, this is so like, I just feel like things just happen for a reason. Okay. So what, what did you, how did you get into the course? Cause I met you through a graduate elective course. Right. This course was something that I had an opportunity to take as an elective. And I was presented with a list of courses to choose as an elective. And out of all the courses, I was reading them. And there was a course on diabetes and a course on um, obesity and weight management. And I was thinking, okay, these are all things that at some point through MNT or some other course, I've nutrition to the lifespan, I've, I've covered this. 
But then there was an eating disorder specific course, which was your course, which I ended up choosing. Which, and that's simply because outside of sports and sports nutrition, there wasn't really anything that I could remember from my undergrad or even my graduate that really focused on nutrition and, and eating disorders and specifically nutritional counseling relating to eating disorders. So while the, so I always thought, well, you know, we're always going into the supply side where like we're learning about how metabolism works. We're learning about nutrients. We're not really learning about how to interact with people and explain to them that, you know, nutrition is important and that nutrition also affects their mental health as well. Always coming from the supply side. Right. That's an interesting way to say it. And then MNT, for those of you who aren't dietitians, is medical nutrition therapy. I'm so before we started recording, you mentioned that in your in the facility you work in, your patients don't necessarily all have eating disorders, but you've seen it pop up here and there. Something Beth and I have always said, and a lot of our guests have said is no matter what field, especially in the nutrition realm, you will come across an eating disorder. Even if you're not in an eating disorder treatment facility, they're, you know, they're bound to be there. So I'm sure the knowledge that you gained from Beth's course was really helpful. Oh, absolutely. Listening to the podcast, being in the course, these are all things that have not only helped me feel like I'm doing a better job for these residents and for the patients that I've seen, but also help me share those ideas with other dietitians to kind of explain to them that we're really seeing these people in moments of time, that there are a lot of things that go on in between that we don't see. So in order to really help them, we have to get to know them. And that's why I think I'm most drawn to the long-term care setting is because we get to have that constant connection and we get to say good morning and we get to kind of check in. We are part of their lives. And so I can really get to use a lot of what I learned from the podcast and from the class in my everyday, like day to day. Yeah, so different. And you said that you learned from me and I learned from you. And that was the thing that I loved about, about you. Little secret here, David and joined us with Dr. Mailer's episode. Actually, we broke it into two episodes because it was so packed. And so you got to be a fly on the wall there. And so we're learning from him, but he learns from us. He's very open to things like that. And and I learned from you. And you mentioned the Veterans Association. And in my current or this semester that just ended, there was another student who had that as kind of an area to look at. And I get to learn like cross-country skiing or women's wrestling or things that performance. Those are things that I get to learn from you as a student and that you bring to me. So even the term that you use coming from the supply side, you got to now look at some of the mental mental health. So what has that been like for you not having a therapy background or a mental health background? So it's been a journey because I, I, was, I was definitely a type A student where I wanted to learn as much as I could. And I really felt like coming out of college that I had a good grasp of what nutrition is all about. But then as I got into the field, I, re I realized that most of it really is communication. Because at the end of the day, like while patients and residents and clients under like want to learn more about nutrition, like going into the Krebs cycle isn't going to be like what makes or breaks, you know, them to have breakfast that day or to actually meet their nutritional needs. And so, um, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the team really relies on us to be that person that will convince the person, the, the patient to eat something or to figure out what's going on with their weight. 
And so that's why I think in the long term, I've come to kind of a conclusion that psychology is really kind of the preface to nutrition, where, you know, if I could kind of do it over, I would start my learning journey with understanding what psychology is and how we can use it to communicate with, you know, not just our patients, but other practitioners. And I'm getting a lot of that now. So I'm also a doctoral student at the University of Kansas Medical Center. And so there's a lot of emphasis now on interdisciplinary teamwork and how we can better communicate with, again, not just our patients, but also the people that are around us. So anything that I could use, learning about cognitive behavioral therapy, learning about dialectic behavioral therapy, learning about family-based therapy, anything I could use as like a tool in the toolbox and apply that towards nutrition and helping people to overcome their challenges when meeting their nutritional needs is something that I'm more than happy to try to apply as much as I can. It's so funny that you say that because I, I started my career as a dietitian in the eating disorder world. And I have always thought the flip side of like, man, I wish I knew more about clinical nutrition. Like what was I doing in MNT1 and MNT2? Because I don't remember any of my tests or any of the lessons. I have always said too that a dietitian in the clinical setting is like such a hardworking individual. Sometimes it is a thankless job, but especially in long-term care. And I think how you described it of, we can know all of these things about nutrition and the Krebs cycle and da, 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 but none of that matters when it comes down to getting the patient in front of you to actually eat their food. And so even going into like, this person needs it to be soft and this person needs it to be like this. And it's, I'm sure you have to have a tremendous amount of patience. Exactly. That's a big part of it. And, and again, a lot of that comes with empathy and compassion. And sometimes these are things that people have. And that sometimes those are things that people need to learn and just remind themselves that, you know, this is the field that you're in. And like you said, you know, it could be thankless. And so from that aspect, we also might need it for ourselves, you know, if uh, if I'm not getting the response, how to not be frustrated, how to continue to work and how can you get more tools to uh, really get through to the person that I'm trying to get through to. Yeah. Did you in undergrad, did you get any nutrition counseling courses? I did have one. I remember the professor's name, Dr. Kathy Isolby from LIU Post. She uh, did have a course on nutritional counseling. I can't remember specifically if there was anything related to eating disorders. I do remember that there was, for example, a case where there was a mother who was very busy with her kids and with her family and with work. And so she wouldn't have enough time to like make food for herself because she was always worrying about other people. So we did come up with different scenarios, but there really isn't anything where it's like, you know, a patient with an actual eating disorder where they're, they're having all these kind of like cognitive dissonance where they, they think that they're fat. They think that they're going to, you know, or get become fat or, they are trying to say skinny and, you know, that's, it's, these are things that you wouldn't expect an 80, 85 year old person to say, but at the end of the day, as a dietitian, you still have to listen to it and you still have to figure out a way to care plan for it and to provide like the things they need to hear to understand that even at 85 years old, like they can still be beautiful, but they don't have to use food as their means to get there. Oh gosh. This brings me back when I was working in long-term care and really knowing that across the lifespan, we see eating disorders and it's not, it's far from the, the young 
middle to upper class white female. It's everywhere. And there was one particular resident who was in her 80s and she would chew and spit her her food and then take lots of supplements, kind of the magic orthorexic, like it has to be, not, I, I shouldn't say orthorexic or, because supplements aren't necessarily part of that, but and she was getting bed sores. Nutrition is so important, but she, she didn't want to gain weight. She wanted to stay thin. And then on the flip side, working with people who are at end of life and the things that they say, I wish I wouldn't have worried or spent so much time worrying about my body. Yeah, that's very true. And I, and from my experience in long-term care and for a brief period of time, I was also covering for a psych unit. At, at a hospital, the one thing that I also try to do is reorient people and also try to understand like what it is that they actually mean when they say, like, I can't eat, my stomach feels full, or if they say that they feel heavy, or mm-hmm. they're concerned that there's something that they're doing is changing a certain part of their body. Because sometimes some of those things are just part of the course of getting renourished. Mm-hmm. And I think as dietitians, we also have to be aware of what those signs and symptoms are someone who may have abdominal discomfort because they've started eating again normally or understanding that things that they have, may have heard 20, 30, 40 years ago may not be applicable anymore that, mm-hmm. or that even having, you know, a stick of butter or having, you know, maybe not a stick of butter, but like a portion of butter with their meal is not considered, you know, a harmful thing to do. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I've also seen in the older population is that unfortunately there are recurrences of things that they've been told in their 20s, in their 30s that have now come back. And there's one person that sticks out in my mind who was a beautician. And she had always emphasized in her youth, her appearance and, and making sure that she was skinny and she looked good for her profession. And then I saw her about a few months ago. And at this point in her life, she was in her mid 70s. And she was still having those same thoughts. Now, the interesting thing about her is that she had actually been placed in a treatment center about, I would say, 40 years ago. And at that time, she still had some traumatic thoughts about it because she was expressing about how they had locked her in a room and pretty much just given her malt shakes, you know, many times a day. So one of the challenges I had faced was one of our first courses of action is to provide supplements, but the supplements had reminded her of that treatment, which she had had you know, 20, 30 years ago. So from that point, I really understood that I would have to, even though we're clinical dietitians and in the hospital setting, the acute care setting, you may only have 10, 15 minutes to talk to someone. In those particular instances, taking the extra time to explain to someone, because at the end of the day, I became the person she would ask, is this okay? Is that okay? And I would just have to explain to her, like, it's all okay. Like, you know, you can have, you can enjoy, you know, you know, eat your food as much as you can you know, eat as much as you want. Like I, that's basically something that I learned from listening to the podcast or from the course. It's like honor your hunger cues, honor your satiety cues. And just putting that kind of language into her kind of purview. So she understood that, you know, at the end of the day, this is what's going to help her, you know, not yeah. restricting calories, not eating a certain amount, mm-hmm. but just starting to listen to herself and what her body is saying. But then also helping push her through those first initial discomforts where it's like, I feel heavy, I feel full, they're trying to make me fat, like all those, as I've met, heard before, like eating disorder thoughts that come out whenever the person starts to finally, I guess, do something that's kind of good for themselves. 
Oh my gosh, there's so many things that you said that I just would like to wrap back around to. My favorite is it's all okay. Like whatever messages are going through her mind is there's there it's complicated and one of the things that you said is providing empathy and compassion and that communication is really the skill that other team members are looking to the rd to help with and 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 like abby and you said about the krebs cycle I don't think in the course that we go through the clinician tree, which is Dr. Adela France, where if we as the dietitian are finding ourselves going to psychoeducation and the Krebs cycle, I'm just going to use that one because that's what we're talking about today, that that's a crutch for something else. And so we need to kind of peel back and see what is it that's happening within, with us that we feel like we need to go to the research. So that's one part of it. But the other is pushing through the initial discomfort of eating. Like that's a, that's a mad skill that you have to, and knowing that, that what you're saying, the words you're saying may be interpreted differently in that person's brain. Exactly. And that's why it's good to reiterate that when someone says, I'm really heavy to understand what does that, like, what does that mean? Like if some of my legs feel heavy, my arms feel heavy. Okay, like you explain to me and like, you know, what are you feeling? Like, what, what exactly are you concerned about? And then you get to hear that it's not really the fact that their legs feel heavy, it's that they're concerned about gaining weight. And that's just their way of, of expressing that. You seem to have a really good hold over language with these types of patients, which can be hard. I, I feel like that's something I still struggle with. And again, I'm sure best course helped a ton with that. But for those listening, do you, have you found any other resources that have helped you learn how to speak in that way? I think it, it just comes from a, a will and a drive to want to be able to communicate with someone. I, I always like think to myself, like how would I want to be communicated with if I was in that setting? It just comes back to that kind of understanding. I do. I I don't really have a resource that I use. I know IADEP is a good resource to understand how to communicate with other disciplines, but I don't really aside honestly aside from listening to Beth's podcasts. I don't really have, and and that's why I really think it's a great resource because there are so many different experts that come on, and that's why initially. Like there's, there was some hesitation on my part. I'm listening to all these experts and I'm like, gosh, you know, if I knew a quarter of what they knew, I'd probably, you know, be an expert myself, but just listening to the language that other people are using and the successes that they've had, and then continuing to perfect it and then continue to practice it. I think the practice is really the key. It's not just that I'm learning or reading about it. It's that I'm actually taking it upon myself. And like Brett said, it's a brave thing to do to say, okay, like, I'm not going to be scared that I might hurt someone. I'm not going to be scared. That they're going to take things the wrong way, but I'm going to, you know, take it upon myself to at least make an attempt um, mm-hmm. to go in there and and see if I can be of any assistance and and give yourself some grace that okay maybe today it wasn't successful, but maybe like within a few and sometimes and I see that you know a few weeks later they're getting better, their medication is working or whatever's going on, and so now it might be a better opportunity to try it again. So that's really where it comes from. It just learning, you know, something and then trying my best to apply it. I'll tell you what, I mean, he's a listener of the podcast. When I was in the hospital for that extended period of time, he reached out to me and said, 
is everything or I don't remember what you said is everything okay or he know he's someone who noticed the gap so that was really I mean that was special to me David to to know that you were following it and that you noticed that it wasn't coming out regularly I'm doing great now and we have some amazing medical series coming up in January and February but I just want to say this could be a mic drop moment that I got David Trigger here <laughs> because the, I've been I, I wanted you to speak your voice. I could tell in the course, even though it's an online course, and that is just the, the least gratifying for me because I don't get to see you all and I don't get to see your facial expressions as I'm talking or to really maybe move the course in a different direction if the, if that's what I feel like the class needs. But I connected with you for some reason. And so I was really grateful that you agreed to come on this podcast and share because I'm hearing words like grace, communication. You also mentioned earlier today that your grandparents were Holocaust survivors. Yes. What do you, I mean, what have you gotten from that as an, as an experience, your lived experience of being a grandchild? I mean, it's, it's, it can be a challenge because like you said before, like I did end up taking an epigenetics course and it was actually topics in human genetics with Dr. Marcy Sweet, who's amazing. Mm -hmm. And she really goes into a lot of the unfortunate kind of downstream and long-term effects that can happen. And I do notice it myself, whether it's, you know, anxiety or just anything that seems off. I think it gets passed down from generation to generation because whenever like an atrocity can happen to someone, it, it can affect them, not just, you know, during their lifetime, but unfortunately it affects their family, it affects their loved ones. So from a lived experience, unfortunately, they, they both passed away when I was young. So I didn't really get a chance to really communicate with them. They were both my father's side. But even after that, both of my parents, they came from the former Soviet Union, which post-war was also wasn't the best situation. There were a lot of food shortages and discrimination and other things that were going on. So there, there's a lot of things that I think I've grown up with kind of, a, it's been a curse and a blessing. I've grown up with a lot of empathy for people who go through tough situations. And I definitely try my best to both have for myself the understanding that things get better and also try to encourage others that things can get better and that there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to like cope with things. But I don't think it ever goes away. I think that's, that's really the take home message is that's why I, you know, the positive side is I try to, because of that, I become kinder. I become more empathetic. And that's why, like I said, if I, if I need to use different language to try to get through to someone who's having a hard time, that's something I'm willing to do. Because mm -hmm. I understand what a difference it could make because if it, unfortunately, there are times where it doesn't work and there are negative outcomes. Yeah. So yeah. If, if, if I could make a difference just by changing the way I say something or um, saying something in a way that could help someone, I, that's something I'm willing to do. I think that um, that's also, Abby asked you where you get your resources or where you learn your language. You are astutely open to some of this. And the episode that dropped today, I talk a little bit about epigenetics and it was about the cherry blossom. So for those of you listening who haven't heard that, 
go back to that because it, I, I reference Holocaust survivors and epigenetic expression along the generations. And I think that that may just open your heart to so many things, David, that maybe wanting, you mentioned wanting to go into the psychology before the nutrition. And Abby said, I felt like I needed more of the nutrition and less of the psychology. So that was, it's just each personal expression comes out that way. Food shortages, discrimination. Dr. Marcy Swede is someone we're going to put in the show notes because that's someone who influenced you and your learning. Definitely have heard of that name, but I don't. I mean, there's definitely a cross section. I think this is something that's important with nutrition as well between a lot of different professions. And I can understand that there are professions that don't want us to use certain practices when it comes to someone with depression or anxiety for that purpose. But if we have a tool that's effective, whether it's cognitive behavior therapy or something else that has been shown to be effective for someone with an eating disorder or something that's nutrition related, or even it could just be something very simple, like using open-ended questions or something right. that we could use in any discipline that all professionals could use. Right. Yeah. So I think there's, a, and, and so I think, Part of being a well-rounded professional, I think this is something that any dietitian can apply is understanding that while nutrition is one part of it, actually having impacts on people's lives will include nutrition, will include psychology, will include genetics, and we won't be able to fully understand people as a whole until we understand all the pieces. All the pieces. Gosh, Abby, look at this. And I keep thinking, like, have you, you know how they give out awards to dietitians, like young dietitian of the year. Have you gotten anything like that? Uh, as, as an undergrad, I got outstanding undergrad nutrition student. It makes sense. Um, but that's, I don't, I don't take credit for that. That's, that's really a testament to the, the people at LIU Post. They do a good job. <laughs> the uh, humility that he has. Well, yeah, you yeah. are, I mean, we talk a lot about how it can be difficult to work in the field of eating disorders, but even just in nutrition in general, to be a good practitioner, it takes a lot of work in doing outside things and listening to podcasts and using your resources. And you seem to be like the picture perfect image of hard work. Thank you. I appreciate that. But I think it's anything that any dietitian can do is just to understand that the first four years of DPD, or if now they're changing it over to a DPD plus master's degree, that's really the first part of learning. And if anyone's read the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and how to become like a seasoned professional, if you will, it, it takes years. And that's something that I think is really important to understand that these aren't things that will be done in a week. You know, a year and a half ago, I wouldn't have known half as much as I know now because it wasn't anything that was taught to me. And I didn't even understand it as a concept, let alone something that I could actually describe to someone. Mm-hmm. So it's also important to understand that if you're a younger dietitian or a newer dietitian in the field, it'll take time. You know, yeah. It's not something that you're going to learn overnight. It's not something that you're going to get right the first time. So don't expect to know everything after taking your exam. The exam wasn't all-encompassing of everything. There'll be a lot of things that will be brought up along the way. And hopefully my hope is that everyone will eventually get to a place where they're also feeling like they're well encompassed. Not that I feel like I know everything. I don't hardly know enough, but 
I think you, you definitely get more comfortable as time goes on. Yeah. I mean, this, what you just said, so proficient and expert and you can get to the expert level, but I'm not the expert of my new client that I get to see next week. I talked to her on the phone today and I can't wait to meet her because she's the expert of her body. She understands what she's been through and I have to be the one who can listen and mirror that for her. Dr. LaFrance had said in her episode, she said, last year I was on a podcast and I disagree with what I said then. Like it's constantly evolving into what we know and what we learn. And I guess that would be the message to some of the dietitians that have been in the field for a long time would be to give an ear to some of the dietitians that are coming out of their programs. And that's something that I will always listen for is if I ever precept or if I teach a course is always to listen to what the newest information is, because I'm sure eventually 15, 20 years down the line, you know, now we're having test statements and nutrition focused physical exams and a lot of new ways of assessments. I'm sure eventually there'll be even newer ways. So there are things that I, like you said, I might say today that are completely different in the future. So I think that's the message for older, uh, for individuals within the profession for a longer period of time. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you, I have a rating form. I haven't put it out into the world yet. I've been working on it, but it's, I'm a four. Really, when you were talking about CBT, DBT, all the different therapeutic modalities and the dietitian scope of practice, because we can't do psychotherapy and we're not, we can't diagnose eating disorders and we can't do trauma therapy. We can do trauma-informed therapy. We can do, we, we can, basically it's that awareness that we want to use the language that's going to be the most helpful for our client. So it's, it's a, <laughs> I'm going to call it seasoned nourishment and the MNT is, is on nourishment to where there's a medical, like we don't prescribe either. And then there's a therapy. I just listed all the things that therapists do that dietitian is not in the dietitian scope. That's one and five. And, and then in the middle is nutrition. And why I say I'm a four is that I lean more towards that narrative nutrition, that storytelling. And some people are more comfortable in the nutrition and medical realm, which would be like a two and using a nutrition focused physical exam, using labs, delving into more of the medical of the nutrition, what's within our scope. So that's going to be something that I'll roll out pretty soon. The podcast, I don't know if we told you, David, that it's, we're going to be closing it up after the two year mark, which is going to be in March. And we have some really great guests coming up that I hope everyone will hang in there with us and some psychiatrists and medical doctors in the next medical series. I want to do something on, we're just running out of time, but I want to do something about discrimination and about stigma. But anyway, we're running out of time. So because of that, I'm going to be shifting my connection with people to 
what I'm calling a supervision membership. So it's kind of like when you hear podcasts going into the Patreon and if you pay $5 a month, you mm. can get a little bit more. It's going to be, it's not going to be Patreon, but it'll be something like that. And I'll be introducing my rating form through that. And there'll be a new handout and a video each month. And then there'll be another tier where we can connect and do, I call it come as you are hour. Something that I learned as a teacher, it's like office hours, but come as you are is, is something that NIDA, I believe it was the National Eating Disorder Association Awareness Week a couple years ago, that was their theme was come as you are. And I feel it's really important. Like I, I like for my clients to come into my office and personally, if they can on the first visit instead of virtual, I want us to be together in the room, our full bodies, just to like, you know, not just see people from the, the neck up, be in there in as, as a whole person. But anyways, the CBT, yeah. the DBTs, those are things that, you know, we're always going to get pushback. I continue to get pushback from therapists saying you can't do that. That's not fair. And yeah, we've always, dietitians have always done cognitive behavioral. We didn't call it that, but we really just take the the thought process and create the ability to take take, take that next step of actually eating, nourishing the body from what That's the brain good. is, what's going on in the brain. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a lot of topics within the field that even if we don't use, we should be made aware of. So if I'm a dietitian and I'm listening to the podcast and I'm learning about transference and countertransference and I'm now, okay, then I have to be aware that I'm lecturing. I'm not really educating this patient or resident and lecturing them because this is yeah. you know what I know and how I felt when I was going through that situation. So mm. it's one of those things where, like you said, we may have been doing it without knowing what it's called. But definitely putting a name to uh, to it is something that will allow me to like look back and say, okay, this I, I can now recognize this is what I was doing. This is like I should be more careful with you know not paying to someone to do something just because that's what I would do in their situation. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the example that Meredith used in that, and I think it was like if you're a sports dietitian and someone tells you that they're playing a sport that you played, we don't know what their experience is just because it's the same. And yeah, there's so much, there's so much. So it's really just projecting what we think we know about someone based on our own experiences. So like an example, I just to go with an example, like one that I used to use a lot was if someone didn't have time to prepare meals, I would just say, oh, you can have like six small meals a day, or you could always meal prep or just rattle off ideas rather than asking them like more about their schedule and, you know, how they like to prepare stuff. So even that's like a small change where I just, like you said, like I've learned to change the language to now make it less focused on what I know and make it more focused about what their experiences are. I love it. I know that our listeners can't see it, but I did the little reaction with the clapping. (laughs) This is I mean, I just go back to what I was saying earlier. You just seem to be such a hard working dietitian, like always trying to see what else you can learn. And it's like motivating to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get my act together. Jeez. (laughs) But I do have a little 
wrap up question for you. And I guess I'll phrase it a little differently. So David, if you were to take yourself back to entering the field of nutrition, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? I wish I would have told myself kind of the advice that I just shared, which is that it takes time. I think in school, there's a lot of pressure that we have to know everything, that we have to memorize our textbooks for exams, and we have to memorize our textbooks for future practice. And if we don't know something, then, you know, we'll never know it and our patients will not be happy with us and we're going to look silly or something like that. And so unfortunately, I had some of that fear going into practice because I thought to myself, well, I can't remember most of the stuff that I learned, like Abby, you were saying before, I can't remember most of the stuff that I learned in school. Does that mean I'm going to be a bad practitioner? And the answer to that is obviously no. It takes time. It takes practice. Every situation is going to be different. Every patient, every resident, every client is going to be different. So the most important thing is just to say, like, we're in this for the long haul. We're going to constantly be learning a little bit every day, getting better at what we do. And eventually we'll get to a place where we feel comfortable. Or you can always say, you know, there's always more areas to learn on. So if you want to like learn more about genetics and you want to learn more about psychology and you want to see how that relates to nutrition, there's always avenues for education. And that's also one of the reasons why I really appreciate the Doctor of Clinical Nutrition program, because I think that really provides an opening for uh, dietitians who are in practice who maybe don't feel like they want to go back to school full time. It gives them an opportunity to express themselves in that way that I want to learn more. I want to know a little bit more. I want to you know, be that little bit better. But again, that's not something that you have to do right away. You can kind of find your way there. Mm-hmm. And as you said, you're type A. So for you as a type A individual to say that to all of us other type A it's individuals, hard. it's like all of us dietitians are A, but Pretty much. It's, good, it's good to hear. It's refreshing. Mm-hmm. And it takes time. And that's something that our clients and patients have to understand too, is that we wish we had a magic wand and could wave everything away. And it does take time. And I still go back to that, what you said earlier, David, when the patient was asking you if it was okay to eat this or that or that it's all okay it's all okay like how reassuring is that for someone a professional to be able to tell you it's all okay so thank you for joining us today on the seasoned rd david thank you so much for having me let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at BethHarrell.com slash professionals.